And um, certainly, um, there are already changes that have taken place. And we see in other countries um, that have followed a similar path, uh, changes that have affected how people live out their faith. And so, we ask a question, how shall we live? What are we supposed to do in these days? Um, You find every aspect of the spectrum from people becoming like the world in order to win the world, but you can't tell them from the world. Uh, They they have no um, biblical standard. They move with the wind, kind of check, okay, where are people? Where do they want to be today? And um, then that's where they move. Then you have others that that completely um, withdraw from life, um, maybe move to a mountain and survive for the cause of Christ or whatever. Um, Some of them aren't surviving for the cause of Christ. They're surviving to survive and be the last man standing or whatever. So you have all kinds and everything in between. But it's interesting, throughout history, and in particular throughout the Bible, there have been many, many people that have lived in cultures that were not Christian-friendly. And and in understanding that, um, we understand that there's a lot that we can learn from them. On March 16th, 597 B.C., the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem after a very long siege. In addition to the riches of the city and the temple, he claimed as spoils thousands of Judeans, including the king and his court. Many of the Judeans that were taken captive were settled then along various tributaries of the Euphrates. And Psalm 137 was a description of of what took place. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive ask of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So here they were. Um, we, we can't even imagine but to be taken captive into a foreign land in addition to the shame of defeat, they were now thrust into a completely foreign culture and they had every reason to weep. They look back on the glory of Zion. They look back on all of that and it was a distant memory and now they are thrust into this 
culture that is completely pagan and a language that is completely foreign to them and the customs of their captors were alien to them and in particular the practice of idolatry was abhorrent to them. More importantly, they could not practice their own religion. Banned from the ritual law of offering sacrifices outside of the promised land, the exiles were unable to engage in public worship. I mean, we can't imagine. I just just read this last week and shared a little bit in the men's Sunday school class reading about thousands of Christians from Iran who have had and Iraq who have left completely. I mean, they had businesses, they they had houses and families, and they had to leave for the sake of their lives. Um, and they are now refugees without anything in a foreign land, and it's hard for us to even comprehend that. But that was the way it was here with the uh, Judeans... And they were in very, needless to say, uncomfortable situations. And the captives were not to resist or separate themselves from Babylonian society. In fact, they were given specific instructions. And if you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. And I believe there is some some good lessons that we can make application in our lives today um, for living in a culture that may become increasingly hostile to biblical values. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. But the more I, I get to learn about Jeremiah. Jeremiah indeed brought some some grave warnings and dangers and reminded them this is where you have been and this is where you are. But Jeremiah was also very optimistic and we'll see a little bit of that here tonight. But this is the the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive. Notice verse 4. This is the message that was given to them. These are those that have been taken into a foreign land and captive. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So here's a message from the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah to these that have been taken captive. And despite their uncomfortable situations, uh, they were to pursue the fulfillments of an ordinary life. They were to practice holiness. They were to work and pray for the prosperity of the society that they were in. And they were to understand that God is still in control. So let's just go back and kind of walk through this. What Jeremiah teaches us about living in a hostile culture. Notice, verse, first of all, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. First of all, God caused the captivity. He wrote to them and He said, This is to all those who have been carried away captive, whom I have caused this to happen. If hostile times come, it's not because grassroots political parties didn't do their job. It's because God is in control and God caused those times to come. If difficult times come in our personal life, God is still in control of that. And in understanding, we need to be reminded, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he will. Can you explain... um, Can you explain how we are in this mess we're in today other than it is it is the king's the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord? Who would ever dream that someone that um that is not a US citizen would end up president of the United States? Let me tell you something. Be careful whose bandwagon you jump on for the next presidency either. You better check if they're a natural-born citizen of the United States before you jump on their bandwagon. But how does that happen? How do we completely disregard the Constitution? God is allowing it. And that's hard for us to accept sometimes. But God is in control. Put yourself in these, these 
Jew, Israelites, the Judeans, they are are they have seen Jerusalem ransacked, the temple destroyed. How can God be glorified in this? And God came to them, and He said. I'm writing to you that are in captivity, and I'm reminding you, I caused this to happen. It wasn't the Babylonians. We learned from King Nebuchadnezzar, God can humble any leader whenever He wants. And He did, King Nebuchadnezzar. But we didn't get here by accident. God is in control. But then notice what He says. I mean... And we'd think, okay, we're here. What is the word of the Lord for us? And he says to them, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and get wives for your sons and husbands for your daughters so that you may be build children. They may bear children and so on. <clears throat> he told them to live Normal lives. What did he tell them? Not to sit around and mope and complain. He said, get up, build a house, go plant a garden, get married, have children, have your kids get married and have children. And he told them that they were to conduct their lives like long-term residents. They were to live an ordinary life with their eyes on God living a purposeful life, exercising engagement with the society without assimilation in the society. They were to be salt and light is what God wanted for them, to bring glory to Him in a society that was completely hostile. And the same is true for us. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And, you know, we may think, well, I think the Lord's return is is soon. It may point to that, but it may not be for quite some time. But he says, I want you to live a normal life. Conduct your life like you are a long-term resident. You may say, I really believe the Lord's going to come before the end of the year. I am not going to plant the field. I am not going to plant the garden. That isn't, what, that isn't the principle that he laid down. He said, you need to live a normal life, and you, know, you need to show, we need to show the fruit of the Spirit in normal living, even in adverse situations. This is how a Christian responds in adverse circumstances. Whether the adversity is a nationwide, worldwide crisis, or whether it is a personal form of adversity that we go through, we live a normal life, we do the normal things of life, and we show forth this is how a Christian responds to this. So he says... I want you to live normal lives. And then notice verse 7, what he says. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace 
you will have peace. They were to seek the benefit and the prosperity of their residency. They were to seek the peace of the city. The, the word that is used here in the Jewish um, context means to seek the flourishing of the city and the right order of the city. That's what they were to seek for. We are to seek the flourishing of South Central Iowa, of Iowa, of the United States. We are to seek the flourishing of that and the, the right order of it. And you do that, first of all, by conducting your own matters according to biblical means. Financial matters. God has much to say about finances. And if you say, really? I didn't know He did. Uh, see us and we'll get you a excellent video series that can help you understand what God says about finances. Then it's encouraging um, our cities and our state government to follow biblical. We want there to be flourishing. That means you will only spend as much as you take in. It's a simple economic principle. But it's one that our state is currently wrangling over right now. And I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I was going to say none of us can live that way. I guess a lot of people are living that way, um, living on somebody else's credit. But you can't do that very long. But we are to uphold biblical principles for the sake of the peace of the, res the place where we live. That means we need to um, be a blessing to the people around us that we live around. Is the area that you live better because of you being there? Is South Central Iowa better because we live here? And I don't mean that in an arrogance. Oh yeah, I'm here. That It's... Are we a benefit to this area? A Christian ought to be a benefit to an area. People ought to say, you know what? I don't, they may say, I don't agree one bit with what they believe, but I'll tell you what, they're the best neighbor I've ever had. Or, I, they're the best help, they're the kindest person, I, they're the best worker, whatever it is. A community ought to say, I don't know, but we want all the people like you that we can get in this community. This is what he's saying. They were to seek the benefit and the prosperity of their residents. And he said, pray for that. The reference to prayer suggests that God wants the captives in Babylon to promote peace by spiritual means as well. That they were to pray. This wasn't praying for the peace of Jerusalem. This was praying for the prosperity of the cities in Babylon where they were. So he tells them, I want you to go and live a normal life. And I want you to be a blessing and a benefit and a prosperity to the people that you are living around and with. And then... 
he says to them, I didn't put this in here, and I, I looked at it again this afternoon, and there's another point that we need to put in there. In verses 8 and 9, he says, don't listen to false teachers. There'll be a lot of false teachers. Um, you can just add that in your notes. It's not in the notes, but... Um, he said, there will be a lot of people prophesying falsely. He said, don't listen to them. But then Jeremiah's message goes on, and notice verse 10. For thus says the Lord, as we said this morning, it doesn't matter what I say or you say, but it matters what God says. And when it says, thus says the Lord, then we need to be paying attention. After, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. They were to seek the Lord with promise. He said, <clears throat> I've taken you here. And he says, I will bring you back. But he, this is what he said. You will call upon me and go and pray to me, and you will seek me and find me, and I will bring back you from your captivity. The godliness God encourages can be practiced by ordinary people living ordinary lives under difficult circumstances. And he says to them, despite their uncomfortable situations, the captives were not to resist or separate themselves, but rather they were to pursue godliness. They were seek to seek after the Lord. They were to cry out to God. And they were to manifest the nature of God. And God said, I will bless that. Jeremiah's most scathing criticisms are directed against his own people who failed to see their special calling to righteousness. His most scathing criticisms were not against mainstream culture. And if a Jeremiah were to show up today, his most scathing criticisms would not be to Washington or Des Moines, it would be to God's people. If my people, which are called by my name. And again, we are to seek the Lord with the promise. This is the promise. If you seek me, you will find me. What a promise. This isn't, look at all the things we've sought after and never found them. This is a promise. If you seek me, you will find me. And Jeremiah's command to them, and then in those verses 10 through 14, is they were to be encouraged by the promises of God. God said, 
to them, You are captive in Babylon. He said, After seventy years, I will come and I will bring you back to the land. I will gather you from the nations where you have been spread. And he said, I will bring you back from your captivity. Listen, regardless of how difficult life may become, we ought to be encouraged in a number of ways. We know how this all ends. God's told us that. We know that God promises His grace for every situation. We know the character of God. On Wednesday night, we're being reminded of the character of God. He is a faithful God. He is an all-powerful God. He is the God of wisdom. All these promises ought to renew us. And, and it ought to be something that encourages our heart. Yesterday, I think it was on Understanding the Times radio, they made this statement. Um... I can't remember it right now. They said, Things are not falling apart. They are falling in place. I love that statement. We can look like things are falling apart. No, they're falling in place. The pieces are coming together. And that's a promise. We ought to be greatly, greatly encouraged by the promises of God. But do you understand basically what Jeremiah is saying is God is in control. Live your life in a manner that is a blessing to those around you and seek the Lord with all your heart and be encouraged by His promises. Because God is at work. And as we do that, it ought to remind us I am going to be one that is going to seek God on my behalf, on behalf of my family, on behalf of our church body, on behalf of our state, and on behalf of our nation. And God says that He records the prayers, the intercessions. It's it's as an incense before Him. And He rewards those that intercede on his behalf. In our Bible reading this last week, we read about Uzziah, and in Second Chronicles 26 it says, As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God caused him to prosper. And then in the next chapter, King Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord. And then in the next chapter, it says, 120,000 men died because Israel had forsaken the Lord. You see how simple it is? As long as he sought the Lord, God caused him to prosper. When he ordered his ways according to God, he became mighty. But when they had forsaken the Lord, God brought judgment. And we today... Individually, we have the opportunity to seek Him. I believe, honestly, in America, it hasn't affected us much, so, hey, everything's okay. Everything is not okay. But everything is okay to a follower of Christ that we know 
His grace is sufficient. He will shepherd me. His character is impeccable. And we know how this ends. But it is important for us to live our life to the glory of God. It's important for us that we become a people that that fervently praise for God's mercy, for God's grace, and for God's direction. So, um, tonight, again, and Lord willing, we desire at our Sunday night services to have a time of, of publicly crying out to God. I encourage you, as was mentioned in the announcements, Tuesday at the noon hour, if you can gather here, fine. We understand many of you can't. But every one of us can stop and pray for our nation. Um, there's also a, a movement that is out that um, 714, taken from um, Second Chronicles 714, it's 714 in the morning and 714 in the evening to pray for our nation. You may set your alarm at those times to remind you to do that. Whatever you do. I mean, however you're going to do it, we must be on our faces before God. That God's grace would be poured out upon us. That God would bring a spiritual awakening. That God would bring a a harvest of souls in these last days. That God's ways would be exalted and lifted high. And that His name would be glorified through our lives. So... We invite you now, as we go to prayer, if somebody could shut the air conditioner off so um, 